Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. As we put a bow on 2019, it's time once again for me to sit down with New York Times comedy critic Jason Zinneman to look back on the year's best and brightest moments in comedy, in which comedians brought out the best. We couldn't help but discuss cancel culture and whom that actually applied to this year. We also talked up the big years for Sebastian Maniscalco and Tiffany Haddish, the greatness of Gary Goldman and Anthony Jeselnik, and breakthroughs for Jacqueline Novak, Ronnie Chang, and Rami Youssef. We noted big years for Amy Schumer, Nikki Glaser, and Julio Torres. We debated the relative greatness of Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle. We noted the other ways comedians made themselves noticed, whether they were clowns in real life or amusing us via Instagram and Twitter. And we paused to reflect on how Joe Rogan became the biggest talk show host around. All that and more marked the year in comedy of 2019, so let's get to it! Here we are, Jason Zinneman, back again. This is our fifth year. Oh my God! Of doing year and this is, this year is interviews of comedy, a tradition. Yes, ever since I bought this Zoom and microphones in 2015, we've been gathering together in your abode. How many people listen December. to these things? Uh, aside from the two of us. <laughs> oh boy, there's kind of. It's like, are we in the double digits in the uh, in the audience? <laughs> I think I think triple digits. All right, that's cool. Uh, but that's mostly my mom sending out her email newsletter to people. It's not how many; it's it's the right people listen oh, to right. it. We are influencers, like your mom, <laughs> like your mom. <laughs> my mom is an influencer. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, but here we are. Uh, each year, we've been discussing the comedy MVPs of the year as part of our way to dissect the year in comedy. But uh, last things first. I want to congratulate our own MVP, Jason Zinneman, won uh, Best Critic of, of 2019? Something like that, yeah. What, what, is the, what is the award that you got? It was the, for Best Performing Arts Critic, I guess. I think it, it's what it is is uh, I think this is like the first time like someone who does comedy. Because mm-hmm. you know, there's like the film and TV, right? and then there's the pouring arts, which is typically the theater people. Right. And so I, I shoehorned in and really rooked out those <laughs> theater critics. So they, they but, but it was, I think it was, an, it's nice for comedy criticism to get some, get some attention. It is nice. I know, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've submitted for the Pulitzers a couple of times. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Huh. What's that well, like? It's, uh, have, it's, it's fairly easy to give them seventy five dollars. Is that what you should pay? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. But uh, you know, I don't. They have not found a way to. to Shoehorn one of us comedy people in there. Is there even a category? You're lumped in with all the other critics. Oh, you are. Okay. All of the critics. Interesting. I figured if you know if they'll give a TV critic one, why why not not a comedy? Those lowly TV critics, (laughs) those scumbags. They give it to them. They could give it to us scumbags. But you won uh, national. What is the national (laughs) national entertainment journalism awards? Yes, the L.A. Press Club. I guess they they, the L.A. Press Club reads the New York Times. That's breaking news. L.A. Press Club. That's apparently yeah. I know. Honestly, I didn't even know I was nominated until Sunday at five. My editor texted me and was like, "You're you're nominated." And so then it was kind of exciting because the ceremony. Was at I think eight LA, LA time, which is like eleven. So I stayed up, and uh, but it wasn't like it was televised or anything. It was mm-hmm. like I was just looking at Twitter to see, and then I thought I saw I thought I lost, mm-hmm. and then like at, I was like going to bed, and then at midnight I got like a nice email from. My, okay, but but also I wanted to talk to you about text. like you won for a specific piece, right? For three for three pieces, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were. Uh, where were they? They were the Aziz piece. The, the Aziz one was was the one that they linked to. So I wanted. They to... linked to two more actually. Okay. There was there was that. There was the, um, um, I th- there was the dad joke piece, uh, and then there was the jo- the one about. Can it was... you get an award for that? <laughs> you should get a slap in the face for that. I think. But there must the, uh, be a lot of dads the, on the, uh, on the voting committee. I know. Then there was one other like essay about like is comedy the best medicine? How like the, the, oh, okay. this sort of how com- there's all this sort of pessimism about comedy uh in this is about last year um and uh so yeah those were those were, those were the three well and, the aziz piece though i wanted to like 
get into a little bit more, because as we talk about what comedy was like in 2019, the idea that Aziz would come roaring back with a sold-out tour and a Netflix special yeah, and comment on what it's like to be canceled and then uncancel oneself. What's your thought on... Yeah, I think it was a weird... We were talking about this before I started, but it was a very uh, challenging and weird year to be a comedy critic because for one for one reason, you had this whole universe of shamed men, many of them had to do with Me Too, but not mm-hmm. all of them, going coming back and then we were asked by editors or whoever to review these people. And it's very, it's almost, it's very hard to, to treat – first of all, you, you shouldn't treat them as merely just like in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But then how do you treat them? How do you treat, do you treat them – like when it comes to someone like Louie, which I knew would be one of the hardest things I'd have to cover. You know, most people approaching it are not looking – are not even seeing – Louis C.K. up there, they have, they're, they're seeing what he did, they're seeing, and then some of them are seeing the, you know, the, the backlash with Aziz, there was such a strong backlash to right. what may happen, that it became such a political football that the, the actual, to be a, an art critic, which we are, uh, it seems a little irrelevant, um, because most people's responses have nothing to do with actually, or are so deeply informed by their feelings about what Aziz did or what Louis did, that it sort of obscures what's on stage. So I found it... Um, that a real challenge. I mean, I, I think like it's good. I think um, to both um, write things that were informed by the politics and the morality of what's going on around these people, but that also, uh, and a sensitive to you know the what what happened, but that also looks at it as a work of comedy and as a work of art. Um, so that I think was really the biggest challenge for me this year. One of the, I mean, the I can go on. The, you know, I think the second reason it was really tricky to be a comedy critic this year, and I'll be curious to see what you think about this. Is I feel like this whole culture war about cancel culture and political correctness, and I have a bunch of stories about this personally, but but I feel like has just got into overdrive. That it's a similar story where it's like there's this. It's almost it's it's a it parallels with the ideological debate. People are so um, right. lodged into their particular debate that it doesn't even, whatever you write... There's no nuance. You're either for something or against it. Well, it's like, it's interesting. There was like, I, I do think one big trend of this year is the emergence of a right-wing press that is very interested in using comedy and covering comedy. Uh and and making an example of like the excesses of liberal elites mm-hmm. and political correctness run amok, and so you'd see this like I would write a review of Dave Chappelle, and within an hour of my piece coming online, there would be several right wing websites that are that that their take is you know New York Times critic cancels Dave Chappelle, <laughs> which is just absurd. I mean, just I mean, like I've you know I've written an ebook on Dave Chappelle. I've right. written, written many Razum. So you, you can't whatever you can't write anything. You can say critical. New York Times critic stalks Dave Chappelle. It's like you, I mean, it's just like but, like but then but then on the other side you have the same thing. You have people who are reacting to that, uh, and uh, I mean in the it, justice frozen and there that kind of day to day intellectual warfare of comedy as ridiculous as that pretentious as that sounds is a battle between these two groups and it's a completely i don't know what you think i think it's completely tedious and boring debate uh and and it's been happening on the far left as well oh completely completely no i mean there's that there's the people who say oh there's no such thing as cancel culture right and it's like well there's a piece that seth wrote for slate about the the rise of the alt-right but all the the examples he cited weren't Applicable. Well, he just blurs all the <laughs> distinctions, right? Mm-hmm. So he just they, they, he blunts them all in the one pie, and, and but, that's the example. But he, that's a problem that both the liberals and the conservatives have when it comes to, to comedy. I mean, when it comes to everything. But well, but set, well, world, that that article, that article, you know, its goal was to paint with a very broad brush that all of these comedians are all right wing. So they in that piece they used my name. They said Sebat. They wanted to paint Sebastian Maniscalco. Mm-hmm. As right wing, right now, Sebastian Maniscalco is, I would say, apolitical, right? He's yeah. he's works hard to steer clear. <laughs> now, if you want to, if you want to really make the case that he is right wing, you could you could 
figure out a way and about the nostalgia of Zach, but you have to strain, right? right? But so in that piece, he quotes me as comparing him to Andrew Dice Clay, right? Out of context. Now, what I meant when I did, said that was that his you know, delivery. His persona. His persona has some elements right. of it. Not that his, you know, he has right, any because kind Because of... he speaks one way in conver- casual conversation and then on stage becomes Sebastian. Right. And I normally don't care about this, like, it's like that kind of minor sort of deceptive. But it was, it was it, now that things have gotten so polarized and, and that piece was polarizing and, and it, it, to be, to be used, um, to be to be quoted deceptively and used on one side of this stupid war was a, a small kind of uh, angering thing that happens now all the time. Yeah, I mean, don't you find that? Don't you find that this because like, is there anything more boring than this cancel culture, you know, debate? It's it's especially boring and frustrating as a critic. The trend that I noticed this year, watching all of the specials, right, 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 is that they're started to become this drumbeat in every special I saw over the course of a couple months. And I think it started with Chappelle, but but then every week or every couple of weeks, a different comedian on Netflix or Showtime or wherever they had their special would take five to ten minutes and stop their their routine to deliver their State of the Union on comedy. Right. <laughs> It's as if they wanted to become critics themselves on what comedy was, but in the confines of their own stand-up comedy special. Right. What's the irony, right, is that, that there's always this criticism that critics are failed uh, comedians, <laughs> right. right, which is um, ridiculous um, 99% of the time. But, the, but it, there is some truth to the fact that comedians like, uh, like to pontificate like pundits and like journalists, right? And they think they're better at being a journalism than comedians are, uh, I mean, that, than they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- which would be fine and sometimes is fine if they have something interesting to say. But, but, the, but there is this, I think in a very short amount of time, the idea of like castle culture is ruining comedy has become hack. It just became like to say it became predictable right. and became boring. And, you know, it's, it's worth talking about like, all right, what actually is real? Like, I actually do think that when I look back at the year, you know, Dave Chappelle said, uh, you know, when, when, when he sort of imitated the audience, right. that like, if you say one thing wrong, your career is over. Obviously, Dave Chappelle's career is just fine. He said, <laughs> he, he said that the Michael Jackson's victims are liars based on no evidence, and he won a Mark Twain Award and a Grammy nomination. Bill Burke, whatever, said, this is my last show, right? He got great reviews right. and is beloved, right? So if you're, but on the other hand, let's be fair here, people, I do think that like, people like, uh, uh, am I pronouncing his name right? Namish Patel. Uh, Namish Patel. Yeah, and uh, Dina Hashem, mm-hmm. who had her a joke taken off Comedy Central show. Um, that that I don't think would have happened um, years ago. And I think what's what, what's really going on is that, of course, because of social media, you can um, have this kind of out, outcry and, and leverage outrage in a way you couldn't before. But the people who get hurt by it are the non-famous. Right. I have sympathy for them. And the people who, the, 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 the super famous people, the, the Seinfelds, the, the, the Chappelles, the Bill Burr, they're just using it as a way to make themselves look more dangerous. And they really more have sympathetic. nothing. More sympathetic. I mean, yes. If Jeff you, Dunham, in his special, took five oh or ten minutes God. to turn. He actually polled his audience in the middle of his special to see... If what he was doing was okay. It's like you're in an arena full of people who paid money because they love you. This is... And the thing is, it's like... It's a, it's a, it's a straw man on top of a dummy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. And when you're as, as famous and, and entertaining this many people, you're you've always going to take criticism. Mm-hmm. You're, that's part of the job. Right. right? It's ridiculous. And, but taking criticism is not the same as being canceled. So it's not the same as now, but, but, like... Um, you know, so that's why I, I do think there are some like people like us who are not comedians and who have a little more objectivity. I think can look like when, when the thing with Nimesh happened, that did take me aback. I was like, maybe it's my like, and, and there were some journalists who disagreed with me. It was mm-hmm. interesting to talk to them about it. I, I was like, wow, they they took him off the stage. 
they hired him for this job and they he told a joke which you know as far as i could see the intent of the joke was actually pretty liberal whether the the execution was or not is is up for debate and maybe it wasn't but you hired him a job and you kicked him off the stage in the middle of the set i mean that's that that to me is outrageous but it but it plays into the comment you made earlier about how how heightened and amplified the the clash the culture clash is between the far right and the far left. Yeah, no, totally. And in, you, and, the, in this Trump era, and I don't want to be the person who blows like some thing that happened in a college campus out of out of proportion at all. Um, people are, are overreacting. But I, I, I also don't want to be the person who's like so reacting against all these famous people complaining that I don't see what's in front of my eyes, which is yeah, the the the, the social media climate and the, the the backlash climate has changed things from the way it was. Five years ago, I mean, would you, right. wouldn't you agree with that? But it's, but it's not affecting any of the people who are who are taking time out of their hour to deliver five minutes of sermon or ten minutes of sermon. I mean, they could be telling jokes. Well, it's, well, it's, it is, I, I, and yeah. they're getting paid all of this money by Netflix. They could be going to Monique, but they're paying these other people. I think it does affect them in a little way. I think, like, I mean, it affects Kevin Hart, right? That that would be the counter to my point. Kevin Hart is as famous as it gets, mm-hmm. and he lost the job hosting the Oscars. Um, but that's but that was more because just like Shane Gillis, he didn't want to play the system and apologize. True. Um, I mean, if you listen to any of the things Shane has said since the the brouhaha died right. down, like they wanted him to apologize. For his comments, and if he if he had delivered a strong enough apology, SNL would have kept him on. I, I believe that's true. But he didn't want to play the game. Yeah, he's like, this is this is the stuff I I say just goofing around with my buddies. I'm not going to apologize for that. No, I mean, look, and Kevin Hart was the same way. He's like, this is stuff I said ten years ago. I'm not going to. No, no, I'm not talking about whether they are they're, they, they're right or not. My only point was that that would in both cases it wouldn't have happened just from a, a descriptive journalistic mm-hmm. standpoint i don't believe either of those cases would have happened 10 years ago now mm-hmm. they did i'm not, not saying right. it's good or bad i'm just saying it's right. important digging, it's digging, important for us to recognize that like all right th- that's news right like, doing like uh, almost like opposition research i mean if they did that when like you know there's no question that right. it well, people, especially with me too. There's so many things that <laughs> no, but, but people's gigs would have. Gone I mean, away. people who were first year SNL cast members who were going to mm. be playing waiters in the background <laughs> didn't get vetted no. like senators back in ten years ago. And if they right. did, things would have you know played out differently. So that is an interesting new climate we're in now. It's also true that. Look, once you get a job at SNL, that's real show business. And in real show business, you're going to get new kinds of blowback and criticism. And you have to apologize sometimes. And you have to be more responsible. Things That's all true. But I think it was um, – when you look at back in the year of notable things, as I said, like you had this ascendant right-wing press, mm-hmm. which I think is not unrelated to this ascendant power of uh, you know, people to create backlash over jokes they find offensive. So, having said all that, how does that play into our discussion of who becomes the MVP of comedy for the year? Like, who's, who stands out amidst all of that? Well, then I think it's a whole... Is, I mean, in what past, do you think? In, what do you well, think? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a more interesting conversation this year because there, there wasn't a breakout person. Like, in years past, we knew, like, okay, Louis C.K. was the dominant force in comedy this year, or Amy Schumer was... Everywhere doing everything. This year, Hannah Gatsby last year. There was this year. There was no one person. Right. Was there? At least in my mind, was there? Was there one name that you kept coming back to? No, there were people I would say who like jumped to class. We talked about this before. People who, like I, I think, I think had really big successes right. that took them to another level. Um, no, yeah, the first name I've had on my list was Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh wow! I wouldn't even I wouldn't have put him on the list. But all right, would you? Would you? Why? Well, make, because make he the did. Case for that. Because he did jump the level. I guess you're right. Like he had been on Showtime before. Is that this year? Jumped, it? His Netflix special came out in January. Okay. You know he jumped from theaters to arenas. Right. 
He was in. He hosted an award show. He hosted the MTV VMAs, which are usually a benchmark for who's the top comic in America. Right. True. Uh, he was in the Oscar-winning <clears throat> Green Book. Right. And is in a potential Oscar-winning The Irishman. That's true. So, and, and um, you know, according to Billboard, his tour was the second, uh, the second biggest behind Kevin Hart. No, I, in terms I, of I, I, in terms of money and no, you're absolutely and, right. I, I wrote a piece on it this year because I remember my kids' kindergarten teacher. That's the only comedian she talks about. Like, and she talks about it. I remember she, I noticed she started talking about him like with other parents, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Why is she talking about <laughs> this guy? Must be not Chris Rock, not Adam." But Sandler. that's one way to know is when they it, enter the zeitgeist for sure. Okay, yeah, for our listeners who haven't listened to the previous four installments of our comedy MVPs, um, you know, when we talk about the most valuable player in comedy, we just like in sports, we can uh, take that definition in any number of ways, whether it's individual stats or how valuable they are to the team, or, you know, did they carry the load for comedy? Right. And we can also debate, you know, how much stand-up plays into that versus TV and movies and other things. Right, right. So, no, no, I think that's a so good... So Sebastian wasn't on your list, though. I don't, I don't, well, I, I think you're right that he should be, if I'm talk, we're talking about, um, like, someone who... Outstanding performer of the year. Yeah, like in terms of commercial success, made mm-hmm. it huge. Um, I, but the people who I were thinking of more were um, two people who I thought had specials that were really well received, and they found in in way that didn't jump to class artistically, which would be uh, Jesselnick, uh, Anthony Jesselnick, oh. um, and Gary Goldman. Okay, um, that I think I mean, Gary Goldman is someone who's been really respected and good in the comedy world for a long time. But then this sort of Judd Apatow produced special, mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, I think people started to, re- you know, give him, give him credit. And also it was, it sort of, it, 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 it was weightier than previous stuff because it was about this personal thing about him. Well, the common denominator between both of those guys that you mentioned are they're, t- they're two of the best joke writers in the business. Yep. Yep. For when sure. You, when you just like want, to hear a finely tuned setup, premise setup, punchline, tag, those two guys are among the tops. I, I agree. Well, I think that's the theme I would say of the year, which is that, like, it. Well, I think people are exhausted by political humor. Mm-hmm. I think I do think that, like, this, this uh, PC thing people are exhausted by, like, the debate. And I think, like, jokes... We're back in fashion. The, I think it's not an accident. Those you were, you know, same same was true in, in sketch. Tim Robinson, which is just like mm. silly absurdism, was way more had a way bigger impact than any political right. sketch. Uh, I did have I did have Gary Goldman on my list too. Uh, not just because you know he had the HBO special, but because his HBO special put a focus on mental illness and and depression at a time when that seemed to be a, a big. <coughs> Story in the comedy world. Interesting. With, with I, people dying from suicide and. Uh huh. Interesting. Interesting. Or people dying from overdoses and. See, I wouldn't. That was actually the one part of the special that I was. Well, I felt that was like because there was been other specials that have been about that subject. Maria Bamford and Chris Cathard. That so not not taking anything away from him, but but that wasn't what made it. I wasn't like, oh, this is so exciting mm-hmm. and new. Um, the uh, if anything, I thought his are his sort of big chunks arguing uh, in defense of millennials mm-hmm. in the context of comedy, where as we've been talking about, all, you have all these grumpy middle aged comedians complaining about um, you know snowflakes and et cetera. Right. That actually seemed suddenly quite refreshing and against the grain. Um, so I thought that 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 actually it, it was really sort of smart. I was like after seeing. Bill Burr, who I did think had a great special this year. Oh, yeah, Bill had um, a and, special. And, uh, and Chappelle, I was like, I was like, oh, Goldman, and, you know, just going to the comedy cellar and seeing comic after comic talk mm-hmm. about this stuff, that, like, it's not that, it's, he, he's, he, it was right there for the taking to find, like, the most counterintuitive take. <laughs> and that also, um, you know, I mean, forget about whether he's right or wrong. It just, you haven't seen any other person of his profile 
going right and be funny about it being funny about it and going to bat for millennials yeah. in this in this you know going to bat for participation trophies and for sensitivity and for being the, the kindness of, you know the 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 uh uh i thought that was actually quite smart um so i i think he really emerged um jesselnick is the same thing where he's like been putting out special after special after special which are full of like you know hard great jokes this one I thought for some reason also like got got more praise and, and sort of got people's radar in a way the previous ones didn't. Well, I think part of the reason it did is because it came out in this uh, overhyped, over-examined social media culture. Yeah, I could be. And he's like, I'm, I'm doing what I do. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's I'm, true. I'm well, you know, he, apologetic. He's, it, he's smart. I'm just going to be so good at it that there's you can't... Well, he had both sides because he's not – he's making uh, all sorts of transgressive jokes. Mm-hmm. But he's also not complaining about how you can't make transgressive jokes. He's just doing it, you know? And people get, people get upset. And, like, I think that – so people – I think people on both sides appreciated that. Well, um, and a few times he has been interviewed this year, I've noticed that he said that the, the people who are complaining are – have no grounds for it. I mean, I, I'm not to not to. This is like a, an insufferable thing to do. But a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece that got kind of some just ridicule, where mm-hmm. I was like, political correctness is good for comedy because for a certain there's a certain kind of comedy that depends on having lines to cross. Right. And one thing political correctness does is it gives you more lines at a time where if you take a, like a look at a historical context. There's actually fewer lines to cross than there were, like in the '50s when you couldn't say "water closet" on TV, right? And Jesselnick you couldn't say you're pregnant when you are visibly pregnant. Exactly, exactly. It's like, and Jesselnick, if you read his interviews, mm-hmm. is saying the same thing. He's saying political correctness is good for comedy, and it is good for him. Now, you know, there's a counter to that, but but I think he, um, yeah. I mean, the, the other point I, I would just say as a small like, kind of inside comedy thing, this special was different than his previous ones in that. He had a really long story, right? Um, which um, I don't know how long it went. Maybe like ten minutes long, twelve minutes long. But that, in the context of his work, was stretching. He's usually like quick right. joke, quick joke, quick joke. So he, you know, try, hung a bunch of jokes on this broader narrative, which I think shows some maturation. So, in terms of comedians who uh, kept leveling up, I put uh, Tiffany Haddish on the list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she had for those of you uh who uh don't have the full IMDb she was in 5 movies in 2019 my god yes three of them were animated sequels uh plus she was in a Tyler Perry movie and an Ike Barinholtz movie she, she had sorry. one Netflix special of her own which just came out as well as one for her friends she leveraged Netflix to put out a special just for for a handful of her friends, she was on uh, the last OG on TBS. Mm. She is a Grammy nominee for her best-selling memoir. Uh, she's <laughs> she's still the spokeswoman for Groupon, and she now hosts uh, Kids Say the Darnest Things on ABC. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, that's just she's got a ton of credits that are, are based on her work the previous years. Like I think not, none of that stuff. But just in terms of like she's everywhere. Yeah, but like she just threw herself a 40th birthday party and Barbara Streisand was there. Yeah, but I don't care. <laughs> Jason Zinneman does not care about Babs. Just because I'm Jewish, Sean, doesn't mean I have to care about Babs. Uh, maybe it does. Maybe it does. Um, no, I don't. I, I think I, I don't so think I, I don't think it was a good year for her. I think she had the she bombed for that. What was that? Was that, that was the New Year's Eve. That was New Year's Eve. Okay, yeah. but but that's how uh, she started the year. But she, I don't think she, uh, comedically, mm-hmm. she, you know, raised a class like she did with Girls Trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me is what I care about more. Okay. Um, so that would be my, I mean, I think there's people like um, so let's, Jack, let's... Jacqueline Novak. Okay. Oh, now there's okay. somebody who nobody outside the comedy world mm-hmm. And even many people inside the comedy world had any idea who she was. Well, you know, we're in New York, so yeah, she's definitely in New York. She wasn't even uh, like she wasn't even like in the hit. Like you know, if you're talking about like, oh the cool alt people, she would not be at the top of your mm-hmm. list. But I had seen her many times, and I liked her. Um, although I'd never written about her really, so when I saw she had this one person show, I was like, oh, I'm really interested to see what right, this, this is. Right, this was a major step forward. For Huge her. step forward to do a. I'd never seen her do longer than ten minutes, and so to do not only an hour but a theater show and mm. on a theme, 
And it was something that I think was completely not out there right now. I mean, it was right. something totally new, a real cerebral, a show that is about oral sex and about this, but it, uh, incredibly spontaneous, uh, both like, uh, I think kind of like intellectual, but also raunchy. Um, and I think she had, she's like a physicality that's really interesting and different. Um, I think her, her whole joke about like the, the femininity of the penis, I thought was really clever. I think she was like a real exciting you know, performer who jumped to class. Right, but I, but it's really still kind of inside New York at that, this point. That's true. At this point. I think she's poised for a big breakout once they film it and put it out in 2020 somewhere. Yeah. Um, and also Seth Meyers recently said that he would love to make her a permanent regular guest. She's great on Seth yeah. Meyers. Yeah. She's great. So, she's, I mean, she... So she is, yeah, she's definitely poised, like she's leveled up and she's poised to, to be known in a much larger way next year. She's also just someone, I think it's a real testament. I don't know. I like people like her who are, I mean, she didn't take a kind of linear path to where she came. You no. know, she's not like a gunner, super ambitious, you no. know, made all the right moves, whatever. If anything, especially when you compare her to her, to her own peer group coming out of Georgetown, yep. where she was performing with Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and yep. Mike Birbiglia, all of whom are, are, like behind the scenes part of her one person show in, in some form or fashion. Yes. No, she was, she was in that group. And then she was, you know, she, I started to see her with like John early and Kate Berlin. Mm-hmm. Then you see her with, then she moved to LA. John early directs this show. He directs the yeah. show. Yeah. I think that the, the thing is, is there's something about these people that don't, um, exist in like a very rigid, uh, click mm-hmm. or, or scene that makes that you see in their work as being a little more idiosyncratic, which I appreciate. Okay, so while I just said that Jacqueline might not be known much outside of New York and New York comedy, the the fact that all of these people that she's worked with in the past are circling the wagons behind her to push her out into the forefront says a lot. Oh yeah, no, she well she's also she, when you talk about you know being being an MVP, it's like the team realizes how important this person is. For sure, for sure. No, I mean, well, she. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I feel like. You, you, I don't know. For some reason, she's not. People don't think of her as like one of these people, like Nate Bargatze or somebody who's like put all these years in. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, has been, you know. But she has. Been, the road. Maybe she hasn't been working like Chuckles, uh, mm-hmm. but she has been. She's not, you know, she hasn't been. She's not some person who's been doing it for two years. She's been doing this for a long time, right. and it's interesting. And I interviewed her. She's, you know, I asked her. I asked a question where I was like, "Why is sex funny?" And first of all, she told one thing she did. She told she loves David Tell, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. She like transcribed David Tell albums, right? So she like has like a club comic partner. Right. But then she like said she starts talking about Henri Bergson, <laughs> which like the, the yeah. like there's a lot of comedians who get pretentious when they talk about. It, but no, I've never <laughs> talked to someone who's who's gone and mentioned Henri Bergson. No. And I was like, the Atel Bergson Venn diagram right. is pretty. <laughs> it's Jacqueline Novak. <laughs> yes, Jacqueline Novak. I was like, that's just like she is the Venn. I love that. I love that. I was. I. I. Anyways, yeah. Okay, so, so who else? Who else, who else do I? Have? You know who knows this year? I like that. Well, I'm, I'm working. Usually, I'm working. Usually, on I sh- the, usually, I show up and you're like, I am. No, no, I didn't take notes i'm actually looking at my like my rough draft of my year-end thing oh, okay. um i'll tell you who i just recently saw who i thought was really great mm-hmm. um it, is, it hasn't even come out yet but um ronnie chang's yes. uh debut special i think is gangbusters comes out late, comes out i think the 17th yeah. have you seen it not yet not yet i think it's that might even be like my favorite debut that and uh R- rami um, Yusuf. Oh, yeah, um, but I was like, I've, I've seen his stuff on Daily Show, mm-hmm. and I've seen, but I didn't really know his work. I, I, I didn't, I didn't expect Did the confidence. Did you not see him on Crazy Rich Asians? No, I saw that, but I just didn't. Like my point is, I didn't expect such a fully realized oh, okay. stand-up performance. Like just the the voice, the material, everything to me was clicking, um, and it was smart, and it was from a perspective I hadn't seen. I mean, anyways, that I think that was a, a real exciting debut although it's recent um yeah so that's you you have what, uh, what do you think about rami's 2019 i, th- I think that it, who I, with his hulu show and his hbo special 
I loved the special. When you talk about debuts, I mean, that's a pretty big splash. You know what? The, yeah, do, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? I, the first thing that comes to mind is hearing people that I was friends with who panned it, but... Really? Yeah. Who's that? We're not dropping names here. <laughs> Who panned Ron? We're only here to speak for I'm trying to remember someone to speak I know. They, so they panned the special? But I like... I, well, his show is such a singular point. Like, his point of view is yeah. great. And the fact that, like, his best friend sidekick is, like, an actual friend of his and not just, like, somebody they, they cast for that. Yeah. Um, and then the stand-up... I thought, like, I remember the idea that he filmed, he filmed it in Chicago. He's not from Chicago. But then he used that opportunity to talk a lot about a lot of different Chicago-based or Chicago-adjacent themes. And it wasn't just that. I mean, I, no. actually, I actually watched it again recently, and I was struck by how many of the topics that, say, like Dave Chappelle covered, mm-hmm. he also covered, but with, in my opinion, more cleverly. Like, and I mean, like, you know... Uh, Jesse Smollett mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Jackson yeah. and the you know whether uh, R. Kelly like these yeah. big cultural things and then I mean this I'm going to write about I think my thing in my year end but it had the best closer of the year from my mind I mean I don't know if I want to get but he like is building up to this point he talks about being Muslim in America yeah. and all this stuff and he talks about how 9/11 made him be more devout as a Muslim because, you know, it's all this. And that's part of the show in Hulu. And it was part of the show. And it also, he claims, you know, well, he he says rightly that, um, you know, increase the amount of fear so that it ends with this great line where he's like, so, and then he he says, did 9-11 work? (laughs) And then he says this, and no one laughs. Like, it's dead silent. he's willing, yeah, and he was willing on, like, multiple occasions in that hour to... To to make the audience uncomfortable. I mean, that's. I, I, he's talking about his sexual kinks. Yeah. I thought all like the, the the people who were talking about how brave Dave Chappelle is, which is ridiculous to me. No, considering that he just did the same thing he always does. Like, do people not pay? This is what kills me. This is what we're talking about this year. Do people not pay attention to the last few specials where Dave Chappelle defended Bill Cosby or when he defended, uh, you know, or he gave like a relatively sympathetic take of a. Uh, you know OJ, or when he, or going back ten, you know, fifteen years when he gave, he covered Michael Jackson, much funnier, a yeah. much funnier defense I, of Michael I, Jackson. I think considering, like, what's new about? I this feel thing? like he's regressing in a way. Yeah, and part part of it is because I remember the Dave Chappelle who left his own show. Yeah, and the reasoning, the like, the strong, grounded reasoning he gave for leaving that show, and to see him turn around and suddenly. Walk away from that person. Well, that's a whole other subject, which is maddening. I mean, I'm somebody who's like, I, as I wrote a book on Dave Chappelle, I, st- I talked to everybody involved in that show. And this thing has become so, it's been repeated so often that he left Comedy Central because of this one sketch where he was worried that the wrong person was going to laugh without getting into the weeds on it. Yeah. It's not, it, it is, it's ridiculous to think that that is the one reason he left. It's been very convenient if you want to paint him as this, like, you know, incredibly ethical, you know, he takes this, you know, like, there's many reasons why he left. Uh, and it was a long time coming. It wasn't one sketch. Not to say that, that wasn't a reason, but there's many reasons. And I think part of the reason that this new thing, you know, if we're to be honest, it probably caught more talk than any other special this year was because people did have this idea of him as this like progressive champion. And then they saw this and they're like, oh, he's just, you know, trashing transgender people, et cetera. And, they, and the truth is, is that I, some of the people trashing Michael Jackson victims. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, again, as critics, I want to have room for just saying like, you know, I, there are actually some parts of that special I liked. Oh, yeah. But the idea that it's original is preposterous. And the idea that the Michael Jackson, like, where's the joke in saying, I, I don't believe those motherfuckers? That's not a joke. That's just him taking a very controversial stand based on not much. Or maybe just for the sake of taking a controversial yeah, stand. Yeah, just doing, which, as it happens, defends the rich, famous celebrity who's been accused of some horrible thing, which he's done 
year after year after year after there's literally nothing i mean like the most fascinating thing he could do against the grain thing he could do would be to not defend the rich famous celebrity who's in the news right would he come out and be like yeah woody allen he's he, he you know he's he, he, he did it the uh, so like putting aside whether he's right or wrong i just don't understand why it caused such a ruckus outside of this context that you as we talked at the beginning the ascendant right-wing media and the left-wing response it's it just amplified it, which just made it, as people who actually follow his work, very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Bill Burr, on the other hand, who I think also was treated with, in this kind of cultural football, uh, as a cultural football, um, not only had a much better special in my mind, no, but, he, did, he had a great special. but did some new things. He had I mean, a great special, and the trailer that Netflix put out made it, was very much a misdirection because they made it seem like he was going to come out and rail against cancel culture, and it wasn't. It wasn't that. He also had some things of like, you know, the end of his special is all about how he wants needs to give up anger, like right. because know, he's a father and he doesn't want to pass that along to his daughter. Also, and he's like famous for his anger, right? Yeah. So in like that's a, his brand. And it's his brand, right? So not in, as much as Lewis Black's brand, but but close, right? But close. And it's like in a saner media culture, that would be the headline: like guy who's famous for bristling anger. Is yeah. now giving up, but it's got to be shoehorned into the same narrative. You know, I had Bill Burr on my list too, not only for his special, which was great, but also because of the things he's been doing with All Things Comedy. Yeah, yeah. He got a three special deal with Comedy Central That's a good point. to put out specials for people that haven't had one, like Ian Edwards, uh, Jessica Kirsten's comes out in this month of December. Uh, you know, they've got a big podcasting network. And they put out a uh, they put out the superior amazing Jonathan documentary of 2019 free on their YouTube channel. Huh. They've been putting out other specials on their YouTube channel for comedians. So in terms of like being valuable to comedy, I feel like he's done a lot more than maybe even people give him credit for. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I would also say um, I thought Amy Schumer's new special was good was really good oh i liked it a lot yeah. and i think it was like it might have been her i think it might have been her best one um well she had a lot to prove after the previous one yeah i mean it also is a reminder that one she's a fantastic stand-up both as like a writer but also as a performer if she's anything she's gotten better as a as a performer like the i mean she's a great actress mm-hmm. and so she could really her act outs are fantastic um and um you know, I, I think that she's someone also who's become so surrounded by controversy and backlash and all this stuff that you sort of someone that's from her offstage involvement in politics, so, yeah, totally. And and but at the same time, she's also I think like uh, I think evolved. Like when she started, she was really a, this kind of character comic, and now I feel like she's sort of moved past that and is speaking more kind of in uh, her own voice in a way that has less distance between what she's saying and what she believes. Um, and it's still working. So I thought that was an, an impressive. One thing that, that uh, a thread that connects her to Bill Burr to some other people is um, their ability to uh, bring people up with them. Yeah. Uh. Um, you know, we mentioned Burr. <clears throat> Amy has her Spotify podcast, Three Girls, One Keith. Mm-hmm. With um, Rachel Feinstein, Bridget Everett, and all, Keith Robinson, all great. Yeah, um, you had you had a couple of people. Issa Rae was responsible. She used her insecure success to bring a black lady sketch show. Yeah, that's a, that's huge, actually. That's a... And then this month on Netflix, Kenya Barris brings Astronomy Club, yep, an all black sketch show to Netflix. Yep. So it's really been like a move the ball forward kind of here, where it's and it's you know it's comforting, refreshing. Similar adjective, third thing, <laughs> to see comedians, you know, stepping up to the plate and going, okay, I've got my success, now I'm going to leverage that. Like Tiffany Haddish did for her friends on Netflix to go, okay, um, as long as you're giving me some money, I want you to give a little love to some other people too. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. The Another uh, person who's in that orbit, in the Amy Schumer, uh, Nikki Laser special, I thought was great, really oh, yeah, funny yeah. too. Banging. Yeah. Just as like good hard so, and I, uh, good from hard the Dave Attell 
school of exactly of actually but you know you even better what i really got addicted to this year is her serious show oh her you morning uh, radio. do you ever listen to that no i I'm watch it <laughs> i know <laughs> i i'm not up either but oh, i oh, watch but it i watch it on, i watch it on youtube okay and it's consist it's like I, I can't stop like now now the youtube algorithm knows i like it <laughs> so like when i go to the youtube page there's usually one nikki glazer clip on their phone you know what since you mentioned youtube i i think we would be risk if we didn't mentioned in our year in review for 2019 the emergence of joe rogan as the number one talk show in the country was it this year it wasn't before this year i mean it might have been in 2018 as well but this is the year that everybody noticed this was the year that civilian friends you know since we're in the comedy business we call them non-comedy people civilians this was the year that civilians would come up to me and mentioning people that they had seen that day on joe rogan no, you're right. He's ma- he's this massive. This was the year he got Bernie Sanders and I thought that everybody he, else. Everybody else made time for Joe Rogan. Yeah, but from, from the comedy uh, angle, because Rogan has this become this like really fascinating cultural figure who's like yeah. MMA and he's politics. But his I, Venn diagram. His Venn diagram is like doesn't is much bigger than comedy now. But mm-hmm. um, it, you're right. It's become like a go to. Well, let's put it this way. I, I saw Andrew Schultz, who is another interesting yes. creature of. YouTube, who got turned down for you know Netflix and HBO specials, and then on um, you know with a real you know admiral entrepreneurial streak, you know kind of built his own fan base. Um, and now he's doing that. He's doing that for other comedians too. He put he, one out for Giannis Papas. Exactly. Doing- but I saw one thing he said on Rogan, which I thought mm-hmm. was striking, is that he wanted, he said that he he called him like the the Johnny Carson for my generation or for art for comedy, meaning the like. Um, the person who you know, if you, you get the bump, you get the bump. Um, yeah. which no, it's it's the it's the show that you want to be on. Forget all of the TV talk shows. If you're like, you can get two spots on Conan this year or three spots on Fallon. It's not going to move the needle for your career like one. But I wonder. One, I, I wonder how much Rogan, Rogan. I wonder like what and and who it moves the needle for. Well. Just judging by my own web stats, when they mention something that I've covered, the the traffic to my site increases. Uh-huh. Be- I remember going, why are people looking this up on my website? And then I looked at and Joe Rogan or his guest talked about it. Right, right, right. Huh. And so it sent people my way. Right. So no, I, I mean, guess I should write more about elk. <laughs> exactly. That'd get right <laughs> on. Or uh, I don't know what else. Thankfully, <laughs> it hasn't changed what I write about, but... Yeah, I. It's funny. There, I. But it's the place that can be. Andrew was right. It's 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 the place to, especially if you're if you're not a known comedian. If you're a certain kind of dude, club comic. I mean, it's funny because now that he has like more power, it is striking. How many female comics have been on Joe Rogan's show? Mm-hmm. There's Whitney Cummings, I think Nikki Glaser. But not many. I mean, it's a show. It it has a very specific demographic, which it's really successful mm-hmm. with, and its guests. I think part of its success is that like it knows it, a number of women on there. Who look look go go look at the list. It's like I saw Annie Letterman on there. Okay, she's not a known. No, I know, but the, I mean, I would be shocked if it's like twenty percent women. Mm-hmm. You would do, oh, okay. So I mean, or, one out of every five. Yeah, I mean, it's I I I think it's probably well, more especially like ten percent. But I'm, I'm, I'm the, especially t- considering what his Venn diagram is. Yeah, that it, it that is. Check out. It that is. Not a, it's not balanced. I mean, my my point is like, uh, yeah, he he, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm sure he pushes some traffic to different sites, but like, is he is he make? I think I think he can help, you know, Andrew Schultz, and he could probably help. Uh, Tim Dillon. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, my yeah, yeah. No, um, you can't try to no, off. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure who. Anyway, anyways, the point is, yes, he he is definitely a big uh, is is a uh, is a major. It's interesting, kind of media figure, I would say. Um, now, um, yeah, he's had three. He's had at least three of the Democratic presidential candidates on. Yeah, that I'm aware of, and that's and I'm not a daily watcher, but I know that I watched the one with Bernie Sanders. I know that he's had Andrew Yang. I didn't know he said Tulsa Gabbard, <laughs> which is an interesting Venn diagram. And it's, it's, it kind of makes sense. 
Right, but it also I mean, it's the. I mean, the, there's an interesting question. It's a, it's a different podcast, and like right. what the politics of Joe Rogan are. Because I, I, you can't help but watch a lot of Joe Rogan mm-hmm. when you're when you do what we do. And it's interesting. Like he doesn't. I think he calls himself a liberal. I think he called. Um, he certainly balks at, at being called a conservative, right? Yeah. And which a lot of people do call him, right? And but, I think they call him that based on the guests that he tends to have. On. I, so they say, well, if this is who you associate with, then you ergo. What I would say, you're, you're, you're that. What I if that's see, what you're interested in. What I see when I listen to him talk mm-hmm. about politics, and this is true of a lot of people on the internet of a certain cast, is that he's much more animated by poking holes in liberalism than in than in being one. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, it's not like he has a some kind of programmatic politics that makes sense. That's like no. It's that he that what really he has all the intellectual dark web people on. You're not going to see Ezra Klein on the show. No. Like you're not going to see Mainz. He's not interested. I, the most fascinating episode that I watched of Joe Rogan this year was Edward Snowden. Well, again, in it, part because Joe barely talked. Right. It was it was essentially like a two hour lecture from Edward Snowden. Well, again, if if you see, if you see him as somebody who's most animated by criticism of the mm-hmm. left and rejection of mainstream liberal politics, then both uh, Edward Snowden and Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard, and to a slightly less degree Andrew Yang, mm-hmm. make a ton of sense. Like having Kamal Harris less so. Right. Having so that's why there's like there is a consistency to somebody his point of great, view. Somebody made a great joke yesterday um, with Kamal Harris dropping out about uh, black people found out once again that performing at the UCB doesn't help their careers as much as they thought. <laughs> Did you know that the UCB hosted some conversations? I kind of for some reason I didn't know that. I don't know why though. <laughs> I must have seen that. But on then Twitter. a bunch of comedians like in the thread on Twitter like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there's another thing. UCB still still alive. Yes, oh, and Astronomy Club came out of that. That's true. So that's true. There was somebody else who recently from UCB. I saw who I was. Anyways, the um, oh oh yeah, I was looking up. Um, this is another person who I think is. In, I would say there's a big trend of um, the genre of people online on Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. releasing like minute long character sketches. Oh yes. Um, and going viral. Yes. Of char- and there's one woman named Alyssa Limperis. Yes. I've, who does I've interviewed her. She's great. Really she's funny fantastic. stuff. And she's from UCB. Yeah. And uh, that- I wrote a piece at the beginning of this year comparing her to Gilda Radner. Well, that's a smart piece. Thank you. Because I think that is an interesting new genre of comedy. You know, that, that's because that, that, she gets a ton of eyeballs. Yeah. There's another one, uh, Eva Victor. She's, yeah, she's just been on the yes. rise this year. She, yes. just, she just put out um, her own dark satire uh, of the Peloton holiday commercial. Yes, I saw that. Yes. Rachel Sennett is another one. Yes. It, it seems like there's mostly more women than another, men for some the reason. Eva got got plucked up by Comedy Central. They have the they have what's called a creators program, uh-huh. where it's essentially like an incubator for comedy for talent that they see and they go, oh, you come and. Do our Instagram videos and our Twitter things and our yeah. YouTube things? No, I think that's the that's the interesting thing. I think the biggest issue issue with comedy day is like, how do you jump a class? Like, there isn't the, the Carsons anymore. No, and that's the thing. Like, Rogan is one way, but it is one way for this very narrow slice of club comedy who already has like the comedy store in the cellar often. But like those people, and let's take some other kinds of people who I thought made big impacts, like the um. These I recently wrote about this piece on clown clowning. Mm-hmm. There's a there's like which most of these people come from Edinburgh Fest. They're yes. they're huge hits in Edinburgh. Again, mean nothing to a Joe Rogan audience. Mean nothing. To, but they're like if you look this this woman Natalie Palamides. Natalie blew, Natalie was on my podcast this year. She blew blew my mind. I think yeah. the best Me Too related comedy show I've seen. They're certainly the most like thought-provoking and challenging yeah. and uh, and she's part of a whole circle of people who were trained at uh this kind of french clown school gallier and, and then and then philadelphia uh, she was she was phil yeah she was pig iron and yeah. then but now they're in la with this, yeah. this guy dr brown and uh, they get big at Edinburgh. so that that was that, that i thought was an interesting um natalie's also in many of the progressive tv commercials fun fact is that right i didn't yeah. know that i didn't know that she's, well then she's in the uh, she's in flow's orbit Interesting. You know Flo. Interesting, yeah. So yeah, so, he's from the ground links. The ground, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. The, uh, so yeah, so those are, those are the, there are these like interesting, different, you know, there's, there's the whole Larry Owens and mm. Catherine Cohen who, yes. and the whole... Uh, Cabaret. The whole, um, yeah, the... Um, 
you know, Julio Torres's rise. Mm-hmm. I mean, which like with both his HBO show and his his special is one certainly one of the like most interesting ex- experiments of the year. Right. Um, do you think, you know, as we as we put a bow on twenty nineteen, do you think looking into twenty twenty that this like this might be the last year that that people can break out from Instagram and Twitter and the like? Oh no! I think it's. I think. I think those are my reads. That Instagram is growing in power. Mm-hmm. In fact, I. I, I never. I didn't want to be on it, but I feel like I need to be on it. Like I, this might be the year that I join Instagram. Really? Are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. I've. I've been weaning myself from Facebook. Wow. And Twitter, I. I try to get in and get out. Yeah. Although that's a little bit more difficult. Why? Why is that? I think. I, I think you know. Part of this era we're in is just soured me on social media. I get that. I get that. So I, you know, and maybe this is just my own perspective, but it also leads me to believe that it's harder for people to break out that yeah. way. If if the environment itself is toxic, how do you still? How does the good stuff still bubble up, or does that make it, in fact, easier for the good stuff to bubble up because there's such a yearning for it? I, th- I think it, and that's why Baby Yoda is comedy <laughs> MVP of 2019. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. No, I think you can, not actual name. I think we will can, find out after the rise of Skywalker <laughs> what the actual name of Baby Yoda is. Spoiler alert! I, I think it can both be toxic and be the place to break out at the same time. Sadly, it's it, there's no escape. I you know there's no it's don't you think? I mean it's like that's the water we swim in, like it or not. So you're just every year with me when we talk about the bubble. You're like no, the, the, there's no there's no end to the bubble. I don't think that. Well, yeah. Although I try, I try it to, sounds like sounds I like, try to find some way to say. Sounds like you think the bubble has burst because there's no big player yeah. this year. There's no. Do you, is that what you think? I, I well, I, we're certainly past the peak. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, we're on the come down. Um, I am. I'm looking forward in 2020 to HBO Max because I feel like they're. I feel like they're they're going to present an actual competition to Netflix in terms of comedy. I think that's dreaming. I think they're gonna. I think that. Uh, I think I can't. I think they're in trouble. They're in for a steep climb. Really? I mean, there's so many. I think I. That's that is really the big story. Is the ridiculous number of these streaming services. I mean, how many? But none people- of but none of them are focused on stand-up. HBO is the only one. It's like, well, we have the we have the pedigree that nobody else does. Yeah, but if you have like a certain amount of money every month, mm-hmm. like, and you have Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus, um, yeah. Apple, are you going to get uh, HBO Max just to get a few stand-up specials? I don't know. You're going to get it because you get HBO, and and they've made it the same price, and it, they're essentially just going to migrate people over to the broader. The broader package for the same yeah. price that you're paying for HBO, you now get HBO plus all of the other Turner properties. Here's what I, you're right. You're right. And they're gonna and they're gonna greenlight specials that they wouldn't have ordinarily greenlit for cable HBO. They will for streaming. But the problem here's what I worry about is that HBO had a brand, mm-hmm. right? And it was it was exclusive. It was prestige. Um, and now that it's trying to compete with these massive behemoths, mm-hmm. it's about it's becoming more about volume. And in doing that, I worry that it dilutes the brand. And I just don't think I think they have too Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus have too much of a head start. Um, now you're right. Maybe they'll have interesting stand-up. But I do think like if you look at the Rami Youssef thing, mm-hmm. if Rami Youssef's special was on Netflix, not HBO, I think we would have been talking about it earlier. I think it was. I think it would have made a bigger splash. Well, it could have made a bigger splash, or it could have gotten buried by whatever came the next. That's week. true. That's true. That's true. The fact that HBO only puts out a handful allows you to focus your attention on them more. I I felt like HBO was being smart by doing like kind of offbeat special, like distinguishing themselves from Netflix right. by doing like the Julio Torres and doing. But now I don't know. I I I I'm starting to see them trot out show after show mm. after show, and I'm like, all right, what is this exactly? Is it just gonna? Is it gonna be like? Is it gonna have a a, a signature? Or 
I just think like we're going to look back in five years and at like the number of streaming services out there and be like, what were we thinking? Like, <laughs> and they're all going to collect. I think some are going to collect. Like, do you, Apple Plus? Do you have Apple Plus? No. no me neither. But, well, this is, but this is how the bubble bursts. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way that people – I don't even know how to, how to get Apple. I mean, it's ridiculous. And there's like serious – like fancy pants shows me on Apple Plus, and I get an email every week being like, "Look at all these great shows on Apple Plus." Yeah, it's like having uh, nineteen Democratic presidential candidates. It's it's too many. They're like spending like I don't know hundreds of millions of dollars on this thing that like no one can no one's but, seeing. But every yeah, everything gets lost. So it's not. I think so it's why even put out a stand-up special if it's just going to get lost in the. Well, I think what's going to happen. That's why to answer your original question. That's mm-hmm. why inter, uh, Instagram matters more. Because I think the future, I think the, the sort of Andrew Schultz model mm-hmm. is going to become more common. People are going to release stuff on free, free on YouTube independently. Well, at least YouTube's not Mark Zuckerberg. That's true. That's true. Instagram is still Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, YouTube has its own problems, but yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing we can agree about. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jason, I think we limited the coughs. I'm sorry about the coughing. I have a terrible cough. So, we'll fix it in and post. it happens when I laugh, so I'm trying not to laugh as much as I have in years past. That's a, that's it's not because I, I have less joy doing this, Sean. I have plenty of joy, but the cough is not good. Well, you know, I look forward to reconvening in December of 2020. <laughs> we'll do it until we die. Oh, okay. I don't Well, unless you don't want to do it, I'm game. I'm game until we, I hope it's no time soon. Uh, <laughs> or the comedy business dies. That's true. One or the, we'll end with a, with a wheeze and a cough. <laughs> <laughs> until then, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. See you in 2020. Happy holidays. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.